This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 162. And I had the dream opportunity to step into a leadership role at a very young age as the youngest state director in the nation, helping newly elected President Barack Obama pass federal policies and reforms, things like health reform, and helped elect people who were going to bring about the kind of change and transformation that I wanted to see in the world. Hey, HTYCers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. This is Scott Anthony Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. Now we get to bring on experts like Jamie Masters, who helps entrepreneurs focus their money and their strengths to create an amazing life while they build their net worth, or people that have pretty amazing stories like Lindsay Maroney, who chose to say yes to every new career opportunity that she was passionate about, ultimately leading to her success at The Muse. And these are people that are just like you. They've gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. They're people that are just like our next guest, Emily Iris. So my conversation with Emily was a bit of a fun one. And I'll tell you, we talked about the three core variables to help fight burnout. Because this is a big thing. This is a massive thing. So many people experience burnout. So we talk about what those are. So stay tuned for that. And then we discuss how breaking away from the norm and changing your mindset will help you see and actually even value your self-worth. It's it's kind of funny how that works. So we talk about why that why that is and what you can actually do about it. And we're all chasing those merit badges. And we've got to stop doing that if we actually want to truly thrive in our careers and prevent burnout. So we tie all this stuff together and a whole bunch more. So get ready to invest in yourself and we'll we'll dive deep into that too. And why you should always put on your oxygen mask first. All right. By the way, Emily, uh, I got to tell you just a little bit about her. She's the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And that's an organization that promotes a program to help thousands of women step into their own powers, the boss of their lives and their careers. And Emily's, Emily's been there. She's, she's fought career burnout herself and then ended up making it her mission. And that's how, how she created Bossed Up, by the way. She made it her mission to share her experience and continue to educate women on how to craft healthy, happy, sustainable career paths that focus on preventing burnout by providing support. But I got to say that even if you're not a woman, you're still going to enjoy this episode. I know I did, and she's got a ton to be able to say here and a ton that's going to be very helpful if you're interested in cultivating a career that actually fits you, regardless of what sex you happen to be. So without further ado, take a listen to my conversation with Emily. Hey, welcome back to Happen to Your Career. I am 
way excited for today's guest. We have been, before I even hit the record button, we've been chatting for a few minutes and oh my goodness, this is going to be a, this is going to be an absolutely amazing one. So here we have with me, Emily Irie. Emily, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going to get into quite a bit. Like I am, I am, uh, I'm bouncing up and down. Literally. We're both standing up here. We, we already <laughs> established that. So uh, getting, getting the setting, we, we both decided right beforehand that we, we love to stand up when we're doing this type of thing. So I am literally hopping up and down as weird as that sounds. But you know, I, before we talk about, I know we're going to talk about uh, communication and assertive communication, and we're going to talk about, we're going to get into uh, being able to say no. We're going to talk about burnout. We're going to get into a lot of different things that I am just ecstatic for. But before we even do that, I would really love for our audience to learn a little bit more about you because I know about you, but they don't know about you. So what on earth do you tell people you do these days? Totally. So I'm Emily Aries, and I'm the founder and CEO of a training company based in Washington, D.C. called Bossed Up. And we help women craft happy, healthy, and sustainable career paths with an eye towards preventing burnout and helping women navigate pivot points in their career path. I'm so excited to be talking with you today because I honestly, not too long ago, was in desperate need of a space and an organization like Bossed Up. So it is no coincidence whatsoever that I started this organization uh, just over three years ago now, back in 2013. Oh my goodness, we were just talking about that too. So th- you you hit the three year mark. I hit it, and yeah. that you is that is amazing, and I absolutely love too that you've created something that you wanted or needed, and you know that's part of where happened your career came from too. So I can absolutely identify with that. I uh, I'm really curious. Long before that, though, I I would love to know more about your story. Where did the, Where does this all start for you? Sure. I think so many of us find ourselves creating the impact that we want to see in the world um, and creating the space or the organization or the the transformation for others that we had wished we had more of uh, in a younger time. And that was certainly true for me. Back in um, 2008, I was graduating with my fancy, shiny Ivy League degree in hand, uh, (laughs) having studied political science and cognitive science, really fascinated by the interplay between how our personal decisions and choices amount to our collective decisions and choices. And I had the dream opportunity to step into a leadership role at a very young age as the youngest state director in the nation, helping newly elected President Barack Obama pass federal policies and reforms, things like health reform, and helped elect people who were going to bring about the kind of change and transformation that I wanted to see in the world. I was ecstatic, right? I left the university, you know, with all that energy and drive and having the total confidence in myself um, after, you know, my entire academic career, having been a hyper overachiever, brown nosing nerd, Um, and having essentially been perfecting, performing, and pleasing everyone else around me in order to get A's. That was my go-to. And it's part of the reason I think that so many women in particular find ourselves excelling in the classroom. You know, women have been out earning our male counterparts when it comes to undergraduate and graduate degrees for almost 30 plus years now. So knowing 
and feeling confident in my abilities in the academic arena left me feeling pretty confident that this whole work thing, that, you know, tackling the career pace of being part of a nationwide organization, helping to pass grassroots efforts on behalf of the president was going to go just as smoothly. Of course, that's of not course. how it out. <laughs> <laughs> as for all perfecting, performing, and pleasing everyone else around you, only really works when there's a, the end of a semester in sight. So after three years of nonstop, all-out sprinting for success, I had gone from being a college athlete to not having any form of fitness in my life for almost three years there. And while I'm proud of the work we did and I you know, trained and recruited and managed over 200 plus volunteers across the state of Rhode Island and helped them really learn to own their voice, to advocate for the changes that and transformation that they wanted to bring about in their community and to collectively organize to grow their sense of power, I was completely losing touch of my own sense of agency and power in my own life. Now, it wasn't just the fact that I wasn't getting to the gym that set me up to really burn out. But beyond that, I was overworking 90 plus hour work weeks every week. And it was a source of pride. There was a sort of martyrdom approach that I took to my job that said I'm too busy to connect with my friends and loved ones and my job is too important to not you know check my Blackberry and iPhone before my feet even touch the ground every morning at 6 a.m. and I was working all through the late nights and weekends my only time for fun and I'm putting that in air quotes here was at networking happy hours so it was a really <laughs> intense it was a really intense campaign pace, and networking happy hours are not the healthiest way to have fun, I would say. No, they're um, not, as it turns out. Right. And yeah. what, ma what made matters way more complicated, something that I think is universally true, but almost universally hushed when it comes to talking about our professional lives and professional spaces, is the fact that my personal relationship was severely impacting my own sense of self, my own sense of agency and power in my own life. As it turns out, my love of my life at the time, right, my, my long-term significant other who I was madly in love with and living with, yeah. um, who is a leader in his own right, an elected official, a head of an organization, like millions of other Americans, struggles with alcoholism and substance abuse issues. So there I was, three years out, from being shiny and new and feeling like I was ready to tackle the world and, and conquer the world, feeling completely and utterly burnt out and sick and tired of trying to save the country, right? Which is how I felt about my job for the work week and beyond and trying to save my boyfriend's life in my spare time. And that left me completely depleted to the point where I found myself driving through my alma mater's campus in Providence, Rhode Island, I was driving through Brown University, was stopped at a stop walk right around this time, actually, a few years ago, five years ago now. Wow, it's amazing how time flies. But um, it, I was watching in front of me as I was slumped over my steering wheel, really, honestly, in this moment of complete and utter desperation, weeping with frustration. I'm a frustration crier. So I was pissed at myself for being three years out from college and looking at these students in front of me with envy. I was so enviable of their situation. And granted, they were in the midst of midterms. They were pretty 
beleaguered looking themselves. They were slouched over, you know, the big heavy backpacks, but they were walking home to the shuttle that would take them home to the airport, wherever it was to go home for the end of a semester break. And that is all I wanted at that moment was permission to go home, put my feet up and take some time to reevaluate, to have a moment of mindful reflection of my life. And I had not given myself permission to do that in three breakneck pace years as an organizer. And it was right then that I saw myself almost laughing at my at my situation, right? Because there I was in this pathetic, sad, horrible situation where I felt I had no agency or control over my life, enviable of the students who I knew I could master their finals for them if they could figure out my career trajectory for me, right? And it was then that I realized, okay, this is not working. The breakneck, put your you know, nose to the grindstone and just hustle hard and wait to be rewarded with acknowledgement or uh, be given permission from someone else to, to craft a career mindfully. That was not going to happen. That was not going to work. And especially if like so many of your listeners, I want to have a career with impact. I want to be in this for the long haul. I was going to have to stop sprinting as though there was the end of a semester on the horizon and really start training for a career path that was more of a marathon than a sprint. I was going to have to begin to change the way I was working because, frankly, it really wasn't working. I didn't want to have to get through the next week or the next month. I wanted to thrive while I was striving towards big long-term goals. Okay. So I want to, I want to ask you about a bunch of things in there here really quick. Now, first of all, you, first of all, I wrote down a hyper, (laughs) hyper overachiever, brown nosy nerd. (laughs) So that'll be tweeted later. And then (laughs) uh, second of all, I am super curious how and why you think this happens for so many people uh, in, in particular. So how, yeah. how do we get this? And what I mean by that is, well, yeah. let's start out with the piece about us moving into this, look, I'm going to sprint as hard as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to you know, basically go to a, go to a point that, that is unhealthy. And then yeah. I'm going okay. to keep doing that, that over and over again. So how, how do we get to that point? Sure. Is it really just I, the college or is it something else? No, 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 no. I find, so what's interesting is, and I could geek out about this for the rest of our podcast if we yeah. really want to. Um, so you'll have to cut me off when you, when you think it's time. But okay. burnout is actually a clinically diagnosable mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. It's something we barely treat that way. We say, oh, I'm so burnt out on pumpkin spice lattes, right? We use it (laughs) locally in a very casual way, and we don't acknowledge burnout for the very serious gateway to more severe disorders like anxiety disorders and depression than it actually is. Um, Beyond the fact that burnout is a very serious and underdiagnosed issue in our culture, I believe that this is not an individual problem. I think we're operating now more so than ever in a burnout culture. Here in the U.S. especially, what's fascinating is that workers are putting in more hours than ever before, as long as we've been measuring it, and yet our productivity as a nation, for the first time since they've been measuring this, has flatlined. So we're we're really not prioritizing efficiency over 
hours in and hours out. And that's not true for everyone, but on the whole, we're operating in a, in a still very um, timid workplace environment where our self-worth is intrinsically connected to our work product. And a huge part of that, in my opinion, again, is that we're still carrying around the psychological baggage of our Protestant ancestors who started this country, right? That whole idea of the Protestant work ethic has been warped in a lot of ways to say, not only is your personal value connected to your productivity and what you're contributing, but now that we have the technology that makes it easier, right? That frees us up to be connected all the time. We feel that we must be connected all the time. We feel tethered to work. So I think there's a lot of socioeconomic forces at play. Stagnating wages have a lot to do with that. Like these are not people who aren't taking vacation is because they don't want to. It's because the cost of taking a vacation has become untenable for a huge swath of our country. So with economic anxiety combined with Um, the rapidly accelerating pace of our workplaces, we have a chronic normalization of burnout as something that is lauded, right? And, And you see that when people use busyness as a badge of honor. You see that when people talk proudly about how little sleep they need. And you see that when People in the U.S. especially would never go on a two-month vacation um, (laughs) like our European friends might do on an annual basis. So from public policies that are just not there to support the average American worker to the, the mindset of the rat race that a lot of us millennials in particular want to escape, and yet we find ourselves pouring our heart and soul into passion projects um, in every night and weekend opportunity we get, it's, it's this real conundrum, um, that's going to require, a, a big questioning of what we value as a society, both in the individual basis and in our body politic. Okay. So let's talk about that for a minute. Cause I think that's sure. incredibly important. And first of all, I'm so glad that you're doing this type of work as well, because there's a lot of people that need need this right? help out there. Plus, there's a as you pointed out, we have a huge societal shift to make in mm. order to have this be anywhere close to the realm of okay in most people's minds to right. focus on efficiency, for example, as opposed to you know, I don't know, pleasing other people Absolutely. or yeah, today. yeah, right, exactly, any number yeah. of uh, any a number of the things that we just talked about, right, yep. and. Uh, so thank you, first of all. <laughs> and second of all, I am curious then how how did you start? How did you really right. aside from having that yeah. you know breakdown in the middle of a, the the college campus watching all the other people that are moving on to their next yeah. thing after after their sprint and and having that checkpoint, how else did you personally begin yeah. to transition away from this normalized culture? Sure. I'm so glad you brought it back to that because the end of that story is actually rather important. <laughs> and sometimes we we dwell on the problem and forget to explain the solution. But for me, three core things, three core variables helped me completely transform my life over the matter, over the course of two relatively rocky years, but such transformative years that it left me thinking that that burnt out woman weeping at the at the crosswalk was unrecognizable, <laughs> yeah. right? The friends in my life now just cannot even fathom that that was me at any point in time. So three things. One, professional help, right? Actually having expert help 
that I couldn't afford, to be quite honest, but I had the help of a therapist teach me everything I learned about addiction and helped me see with a uh, non sort of um, someone who was outside of the situation helping to advocate for me on a one-on-one basis, right? Really working with someone one-on-one. Um, and for that, for me, that was the form of a therapist, which is funny because I went to my uh, physician, someone I trusted and said, I need to get my boyfriend into therapy. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's get you into therapy first <laughs> and see how that goes. So one expert help Two, what I call a community of courage. And I think a community of courage because for so many years, I was so focused on work that I thought of my friends as a luxury. I thought of spending time with family as a luxury, as something that was wasting precious productivity time when in reality, the hallmark of a healthy, well-adjusted, mentally sound human being is being connected, right? Being well-connected and having people who not only keep you grounded, but reflect back to you the most courageous reflection of who you think you are. So when I was full of self-doubt and anxiety, Going to the people in my life who were also full of self-doubt and anxiety was not helpful. And that's that's just so happens to be a lot of the people I surrounded myself with during that time. So I very mindfully began to reach out to and hang out with people who lifted me up, people who saw me in a better light than I even saw myself. I was so busy being self-deprecating and feeling like a martyr that to hang out with people who actually said, no, you've got potential. Where are you going to go after this? Like, what are you going to do next with your life? Let's have that conversation was at first a little threatening to me. And then I recognized it for the courageous um, conversations that I really needed to have at that time. So being critically mindful about who I was hanging out with, whether it's, what do you mean by threatening? I'm super curious about that. Well, I found it when I was in a place of insecurity Yes. I found questions like that to be threatening to my self-worth at the time. So I had a great job on paper, right? A state director. Mm-hmm. And so when I had a colleague send to me, say to me, you're, you know, you're on the rise. When are you going to blow this popsicle stand and go do something else? You know, when, when are you, what are you going to do next? I, A, was dumbfounded because I didn't have an answer for her. And that uncertainty made me uncomfortable. And two, I thought, oh, she's judging me. She's asking me this question because she doesn't think what I'm doing right now is good enough. So that's a really knee-jerk, very small-minded reaction to discomfort that I had not been putting myself in on a regular basis. So I know people who are listening to this are saying, okay, I'm ready to get uncomfortable and and talk about the uncertain future that I'm exploring right now. What it takes is a healthy sense of I know my worth. I know what I'm doing now is fine for some people, is successful in some people's eyes, but I am not threatened by my own desire for more. And I'm not threatened by my own lack of clarity on what that looks like right now. I'm going to explore that. I'm going to lean into that discomfort. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. I'm so glad you delved into that because we haven't, haven't gotten too deep into that on this show, but I think it's a real thing that everyone experiences in some capacity. Yep. When you're as you're on this journey, yeah. like showing off your merit badges, you forget to dream bigger. You know what I mean? When you're like, oh, on paper, here's my resume line that makes me feel good about myself. Let me talk about that all the time. When you are so busy thumping your chest in front of other people 
you miss the opportunity to think forward, to think bigger, and not rely on past achievements for your self-worth. So honestly, it was a real mindset shift for me. It's something I haven't thought that much about since then, honestly. So I'm glad you pressed me on that. Well, I'm so glad we get to get into that. And I'm also really curious about self-worth because I feel like, I mean, a lot of what our company do is on the surface, we help people make really big career changes, right? But underlying all that, almost every time and probably every time, there is some measure of people changing their mind. When we when we help people make those types of big life changes, there's some measure of changing your mind and mindset about your self-worth that goes on with that. So totally. I'm super curious about what that, what that looked like for you yeah. and some of what helped you along the way too. Yeah, it's hard to say because it's such an uncertain, invisible, under-the-surface transformation. Yeah. Um, But here's one thing that comes to mind. When I first called my mother, who is a professional caretaker, so she's a nurse, she's a labor and delivery nurse. She's been working in that kind of a role for 30 years. She has four children, of which I am one, and she is a caretaker in her personal life and her professional life, right? So she's from that mindset, from that framework. I called my mom up and said, Mom, I think my boyfriend has a drinking problem. And this was huge, right? Because this was a year into my suspicion and a year into busting my butt on my own work, on my own career. And I was finally starting to articulate what I thought was very shameful and scary and something I didn't even know for sure was true. I I really was full of self-doubt because he was a master manipulator. And my mom said to me, the first words out of her mouth when I finally dared to utter those to her were, oh, honey, be nice to him. Freaking out, probably. Looking at job boards, crying, and just, it was a mess. That's just a peek into Kirby's work life before. My title was public relations manager, but I worked for a small company, so job titles at that point really don't matter. And I had been listening to your podcast, and so I just sent an email in asking, I need your help. And that's when she started our free eight-day email course. The course that you provided and all those questions really helped me determine what made me happy in a job or what I actually enjoyed doing. Kirby really needed to make a change, so she dove right in. Strengths finders test, the disc test, I took them all. <laughs> I took all of them because I wanted to get this right. <laughs> With new insight and help, she was able to make some necessary changes. You know, I like coming to work in the morning and I like the people I work with. Nobody wants to sit there and answer hard questions, especially if it's about yourself, but it's worth it to take the time because you don't want to waste your time at a job that you don't want to do. Why would you waste your time being unhappy? Just take a personal day, take eight hours and answer all the questions. So if you need to make some changes in your life and figure out what it is that you should be doing answering those hard questions, head on over to figureitout.co, that's figureitout.co, or text HAPPEN, H-A-P-P-E-N, to 44222. That's text HAPPEN, H-A-P-P-E-N, to 44. And in retrospect, many years from that moment, and knowing that I have a very good relationship with my mother, I can understand where she was coming from with that, right? She's a caretaker. That's her instinct. Yeah. For me, 
it took me a year to go from be a good girlfriend, be a good worker, be a good ally, be a good friend to be good to myself. What the hell do I need? And that comes from having expert help. That comes from having a community of courage. And it comes from learning to take all that advocacy expertise that I had, learning and helping others to advocate for themselves and directing that attention to myself. And that's what turned my life around, advocating to get out of a relationship that I didn't want to be in anymore, advocating to quit my job and leave the state of Rhode Island and actually happen to my career, right? Actually take proactive action and go explore the career opportunities that were out there and negotiate for a salary for the first time in my life, which meant doubling my salary nearly when I moved out of Rhode Island to Washington, D.C., the city I always wanted to live in, and advocating for leaving the office every single day at 6 p.m. And instead of spending my free time for those two years that followed at the happy hour circuit, which frankly, I didn't want to be around, I spent that time on the volleyball courts down by the Lincoln Memorial on the National Mall getting stronger and tapping back into my college sport and having the physical strength that then motivated and inspired the mental strength that followed. And yes, it just so happens that while I was down there over those two years, I met an amazing, wonderful guy who I've now been dating for four years. Okay, let so, me ask you about that. Not yeah. Well, <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> a weird place to interview. But, yeah, that's okay. Okay, so here's one of the things that I heard from there that I'm pulling out other people may or may not be paying attention to it, but I, I've kind of noticed this pattern that when you stop ignoring what is uh, what is going on or what is a need for yourself and you finally start acting on that, first of all, I've noticed that very often takes you away from the norm. So I heard you say that that took yeah. you away from happy hour, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden you're spending some of your time in different places. Right. Uh, but I'm, I'm also super curious from your perspective, what that was like in order to actually, um, really take the final step and break away from that norm. Because uh, I think I've got to, just got to acknowledge that that's not always easy for people, but I have also noticed that when you do so good things almost always happen. Like you got right. to meet this great guy and you yeah. know, you're healthier well, and whatever else. Right. Yeah. What's funny is that. Breaking from the norm um, comes from a strong sense of self-worth because if you're always chasing merit badges, as I like to call them, if you're chasing other people's metrics of success, then you're not busy asking yourself the questions of what do I define success as for myself. Mm -hmm. So what you didn't hear in that story is all the hours I spent alone in my tiny one-bedroom apartment that had zero furniture but a mattress on the floor when I first moved in, the $6,000 in credit card debt that I incurred over the course of that transition and that breakup and slowly paying that off by not eating out for about a year, right? And like the boring but so essential laborious work that happens when you're reading and reflecting and journaling like a loner, right? Like for me, a lot of that transformation happened off the volleyball courts when I was taking care of myself by reading more books than I read in college for fun, exploring and following threads that interested me because I didn't have to prove to anyone else that I was interested in whatever they thought I should be interested in. And what that meant was two years working in this 
political job. I was a digital strategist helping win campaigns using the internet and helping to raise money on the internet. It was fine, right? Did it light me up? No. Did it pay my bills? Yes. And that's why playing volleyball for hours a week was a huge part of maintaining my sense of health and acknowledging that my that how like happier healthier people are more focused and more productive helped me stay balanced but not even stay balanced it helped me create some space to dream about what was even like that was even bigger brewing inside of me and that was bossed up so as i was learning to put my own oxygen mask on first before assisting others as i was taking care of myself financially right being prudent and taking investing in my own health and happiness and, and well-being, I was saying, okay, here's how we might be able to bottle that transformation and bring it to other people, specifically women, because a lot of these challenges look different for men and women. And burnout, I think, is one of the most under-discussed topics out there, but especially burnout as it relates to gender. So there was a lot of transformation that was looked like me having a great time and running my first ever half marathon and competing in my first triathlon. Like that looked like fun. But what it was, was the, t the hours I spent working on myself, getting clear with my own body and my mind and my community on what I, who I was and who I wanted to become. Those were the hours that, you know, it's hard to even, um, it's hard to do that in any other way, but slow and incremental caring for oneself and creating the time and space to be mindful about what happening to your career means to you. I'm so, so glad that you delved into that and allowed me to ask more about that because sure. I really think some of the things that you just talked about are maybe even the most important pieces in so many people misunderstand how mm. this type of big life change can happen because it doesn't happen overnight. It happens in stages and steps and building yeah. upon the previous step and then building on the next one and then building on the next exactly. one. Exactly. And it gets popularized in so many different places to where we have this misconfigured idea of, of how this stuff can happen for, for people. But that is that is so cool, and my story is not that much different. And yeah. you know, I often will tell people, "Hey, one of the best things that I did for my career was uh, decide that I was going to train for a half marathon when I'd never really ah. run, you know, more than yeah. a couple of miles before." As weird as that sounds, and Isn't that's so funny. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so true. I wrote the first piece I ever wrote about this journey was for the Huffington Post, and it was called. I think the title ended up being "I'm so I'm so over hot mess chic." <laughs> and it went a little bit viral because I said, here's my life. I was a complete hot mess. And I thought that like pouring myself into pleasing everyone else and all of my work hours would make me a better person when in fact it left me like feeling like a self-deprecating hot mess of a human being. Yeah. Here's what it looks like to, to live a different way. And I call that really investing in your sustainable success. And it it's ironic because people think, oh, hours spent taking care of myself draws away from this zero sum game of, of hours of spent yeah hours spent working on my career and that is so not how it works when we acknowledge that work love yes love and wellness are connected that's where i think we can tap into our true full potential and genius but it comes from a privileged place too i want to check that for a moment because being able to quit a job 
being able to walk away always comes with risks, always comes with fear. And it's not, I'm not one of those people to say, just do it, right? Like, just change your mindset, change your life, right? It takes very cautious, right? It takes cautious uh, cost benefit analysis and really advocating for yourself in a world that is still full of injustice. And those risks don't look the same for everybody. Those risks aren't the same for every single person. So, you know, I don't want to overstate the self-care argument without acknowledging that that's easier said than done for a lot of people. Like my mom, you know, negotiating a raise for her is impossible. She has a non-unionized hospital, right? And there's just no collective bargaining. There's no ability for her to make her case, even though she can put in for one week of vacation every single year and maybe she'll get it, right? Like there's just a lot of different limitations on this, which is part of the reason why I will eventually probably go back into public service because politics also can make this a lot easier for all of us. Um, And government, when it works, can actually make this easier so that it doesn't take such a monumental lift for people to actually achieve their full potential through striving for sustainability. Yeah. 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 Okay. Ooh, so I'm I wanna... standing, Scott, because I'm know. Like all fired I up know. here. Like, I'm, I'm on my soapbox. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me shift gears on you just a, just a tiny sure. bit, because I really, really want to get into how can we not just avoid burnout, but how can we thrive? And I know one of the things you were incredibly passionate about is how can we do that through different types of communication in particular? Sure. And what I'm super curious about is if, if I'm in that place where I am either I'm looking ahead and I can see the burnout coming or I'm in the place where I'm looking yep. ahead and realizing that I don't want to be where I'm at right now, uh, yep. you know, in, in a year, in six months, in two years, five, whatever it happens to be, how, how can communication impact that, first of all? And then second of all, I really want to ask you, what, what can people actually do around that? Particularly, well, I'll, I'll hold off. Let's do one, one question sure. instead of 57 at a time. I'm famous for well, that. Well, I think what you're tapping into here is one of my biggest teachings and, and main focuses in the work that I do, whether it's the public speaking I do at corporations and organizations or our flagship training program for women navigating career transition, one of the biggest modules and most popular um, components to getting bossed up, right? Going from burnt out to bossed up is honing your assertive communication. And unfortunately, the word assertive has a real bad rap, right? We often misinterpret assertive behavior for aggressive behavior. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I, one of the first videos I ever made on YouTube, that's still one of the most shared is knowing the difference between assertive versus aggressive. And really just to give you the top lines there, assertive and aggressive are both behaviors that say, here's what I want, right? You have to be proactive about saying, here's what I want, here's what I need, here's what I desire. When you're being assertive, you're also being mindful of and curious to hear from others and their needs in the situation. So, an assertive person might say, hey, you can't cut this line, right? We've all been waiting here in this line for a long time. I want to get to where we're going. I know you want to get to where you're going, but we've all been here. So I'm standing up for all of our rights in this equation by saying the back of the line is back that away, right? An aggressive person would cut the line, 
an aggressive person says, I want to get to the front of the line. I know these people are waiting, but their needs, their desires, their interests do not interest me. And just understanding that difference can help us, especially as women who get a bad rap when we express assertive behavior, because assertiveness, while it is essential to leadership, is also inversely correlated with likability when exhibited by women, right? It's the idea that a a bossy woman is a bad thing, but a, a man exhibiting the same kinds of communication might be more likely to be viewed, and this has been shown in social science research for 30 years, as a leader, a strong, forceful leader, right? Now, people who are assertive, men and women, are less liked, but women are more disliked when they're being assertive, and sometimes their capability is even called into question. So it's no wonder that we've adapted by becoming yes women, right? We please, we perfect, we perform, when in reality, the biggest way that all of us, men and women, can make a change to the status quo is to start saying no, right? We have to start saying no to the people the things and the actions that we're taking in our lives that do not serve our vision for where we want to take our lives and our careers next. And that's a much easier said than done kind of thing, which is why the subject of my TED Talk is the power of no and how to become more comfortable and why it's worthy of our time and effort and energy to say no to those people and actions and time, you know, the way we spend our time that doesn't serve our vision, that doesn't serve our future in terms of what we want that to look like and feel like. Um, it's really, honestly, and I could, I could go on, but burnout and having that lack of agency, feeling like your actions don't impact your life, is a skill, is a, is a condition that follows the lack of saying no and drawing healthy boundaries. So They're when we don't... Linked. Say that again. Yes, they're often often linked together. Exactly. So when we feel out of control of our lives, start taking that power back, even in micro steps. Even if it means saying, you know what? No, I can't meet at that time tomorrow. But can we meet earlier? I can make this happen. Providing an alternative, right? Saying no with a smile on your face, because I think it's Stephen Covey who talks about you have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage, pleasantly, smilingly, non apologetically to say no to other things. You know what I think my, as weird as this sounds, I think the best training I ever had for saying no and doing so in an extremely positive and productive way and still getting people to like you at the end of it or still Mm -hmm. maintaining a relationship Mm -hmm. at the end of Mm -hmm. it was working guest service at retailers. Interesting, yeah. (laughs) Because you have to tell everyone no constantly all day long and still survive, you know, to like leave at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So as weird as that sounds, I thought you, I was sure you were going to say being a parent because I hear (laughs) this from moms all the time and dads. I hear, you know, saying no for my own needs has been very hard, but saying no for my children's needs has made it so much easier, Mm. right? We don't let our kids eat garbage. Yeah. We don't let them eat crap. And do we let ourselves? Like, do we allow ourselves to be, you know, become a doormat for someone else's wishes? Yeah, we do. Because 
if someone treated our children the way that they treat us sometimes, we would go full mama bear on them, right? It's <laughs> the same exact research that is actually in the field of gender and negotiation is exhibited with assertive communication writ large. We are much, we are very capable negotiators when acting as an agent on behalf of someone else. Things get tricky and very tricky in a gendered way when it's our turn as women especially to advocate and negotiate on our own behalf. That's when things get hard because we want people to like us and historically, I mean, let's look at the giant big picture here. Historically, that's been our role as women. We've been conditioned since the day we were born to be nice to people uh, and to be helpful in a way that our, our young boys just don't get that same messaging. And I'm not saying they should either. I'm saying maybe women shouldn't get it. <laughs> maybe women, you know, maybe little girls should be allowed to go be bossy on the playground too and do what they feel like doing instead of saying, you know, sit here and be quiet and be nice to everybody. And I know it's, it's an exaggeration, but it's, it's seeped into our culture the minute we were born. Have you seen, and I would love to spend the rest of the day talking about this, but I'm just curious, uh, and we're not going to be able to, but have you seen the study on the matriarchal societies versus patriarchal societies? I can't even say it. Patriarchal, you know that word? Yeah. Thank you. I haven't, I mean, there's like very, very few, very few indigenous in the world. communities <laughs> yes. that are matriarchal. So it's, a, I, I always call into question the sample size, but um, but no, tell me more about it. I, I don't think I know what you're referring to. You know, the sh short version of it is uh, they did the study to try and figure out, hey, how much of this is essentially genetics in the natural differences yep. between yep. men versus women and how much of it is bred into society? So <laughs> what better way to figure that out in places yeah. where it's developed into a matriarchal and... I don't know why that's so hard for me to say. <laughs> but maybe because we don't hear that word very Maybe often. not. Maybe not. Lead? I can read it like nobody's business. <laughs> I can spell it. <laughs> yeah. Um, either way, though, what was really, really interesting is there are some differences in, in uh, I guess you could say the genetics. I don't know if this is going to be the right term. Sure. But either way, most of those differences come from, they come from what is put into society. Like there yeah. are... It's really, really easy. Nurture, right? Yeah. Or what is it? No, I'm saying the wrong thing. Nurture trumps nature. I, I always get a little crazy when I hear those arguments because all we, you know, this idea that men are from Mars and women are from Venus and we're just wired differently, it doesn't speak to our neuroplasticity, right? It doesn't speak to our ability to change as human beings, yes, which is agreed. well documented, right? It's well established over time. It's too far. And part of the research that I think we need more of in this arena is really studying and understanding how same sex couples operate in terms of sharing housework duties yeah. versus breadwinning duties, right? If you look at the, the data, historically, we've been measuring, okay, well, women are still doing twice the amount of housework and child rearing duties, but that's within the confines of heterosexual relationships with women and men working full time. Yeah. That's not, that's not what families look like all over the place anymore. So the data is really very lacking, and I'm hoping that we can get more studies and research done and more funding for that important research. But there's some really good books that walk through the history and better understand that that gender dynamic to overwhelm 
not just as it pertains to our burnout work culture, but also the second shift, as Harley, Harley Hochschild called it, right? This idea that women still, even if they put in a 10-hour day, they come home and are still doing more at home. The reality here, the bright spot, is that men are doing more around the house and with child rearing than ever before, historically. So we got to give a shout out to our, to our guys <laughs> out there. Yeah? But also, for those who are really interested in, in understanding historically how we got to where we are today... The book Overwhelmed by Bridget Schulte is always on my bookshelf behind me. And she's a friend of mine here in D.C. She's working at um, New America. Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time is a very robust historical account of both the public policy and the culture that has led us to this, this moment in time. Um, and that's another one I have to, another author I have to shout out to, um, not the least of which is is notable and interesting for her perspective as a a black woman in leadership is um, Tiffany Dufu's new book. She's the chief. She's some sort of chief executive. I always forget the last initial in that CE whatever. CE title. something. She's a CE, CE something. something. Um, with the Levo League, which is a great women's organization focused on millennial professional development. She just wrote a book called Drop the Ball, all about saying no to components of life, whether it's house, you know, house stuff, childcare stuff, or work stuff that helps you say yes to the things that you need to say yes to, to get your life and career to where they want to go. So those are two of my sort of icons on that list. And I'm also working on a book myself that will go are into greater detail on all that stuff. Oh, but well, we'll talk later about that then. We will. We'll have to come back. The So here's what I want to ask you with some of the remaining time that we have, Emily, because sure. I'm super curious and I know that HTYCers are as well. We've, we've talked about burnout. We've talked about saying no. We've talked about a whole bunch of these other different things. But mm. what, what can I do? What's one thing that I can do to either get me started in being more intentional with what I'm saying yes and no to, or what's one thing that I can do to be able to actually say no in a situation where I other, otherwise wouldn't? How can I put well, this stuff to use? I like to, to guide people to their calendars. So we, we all use a calendar, whether it's you're a journaler and you like to write it down in a date book or you occasionally make a Google calendar happen, or if you're like me and you're totally hyper- Google calendared out with like color coding and all that fun stuff. I feel like Guilty. our calendars, right. And, and the rise of the personal planner has been such a phenomenon in recent years. I think it's indicative of our overwhelm, but I would say, let's look at our calendar instead of this way to hack into our productivity. Let's approach our calendar like a budget for our time. When we make a budget every month, it is an aspirational reflection of where we want to spend our money, right? It's aspirational and where we what we value. I always say to organizations, don't tell me that you care about helping people, you care about investing in your uh, retention and development of women leadership. Give me your budget and I'll tell you what you value, right? Where we spend our money is a reflection of our values. We need to look at our calendars within that same lens and say, I'm not just gonna look at this as a forecasting tool, like our budgets, as an aspirational array of things I want to get done. But also think about the end of the month, which just happened yesterday, right? That day when we look back at our budgets, hopefully, right? And maybe it's a sweat-inducing moment. Maybe your palms get a little sweaty, or maybe you don't even do this part of it because you don't want to look at it. But 
we have to look back at our budgets and say, okay, how did things go this month? Did I align with my own aspirational self? Did my budget turn out the way I aspired it would? And what came up that I wasn't anticipating? What was I hit with that I didn't see coming? If we can use our calendars in that same way, we can then use it on a week-to-week basis, a day-to-day basis, a month-to-month basis, whatever works for your scale, to look back and say, all right, here's what I forecasted, here's what I wanted to do, what actually happened? And what came up that I didn't see coming at all? And instead of saying, oh, I'm a failure, I feel overwhelmed, I didn't get anything done, we can then drag and drop or recalibrate, right? What is it called? A reallocation of our portfolios, right? From a finance standpoint, we have to reallocate our future time and slowly but surely get better at estimating our capacity. I don't know about you or your listeners, but I started off my professional career as a chronic overestimator of my own capacity. Oh, yeah. I overpromised and underdelivered. And that is a good way to set yourself up to feel guilty all the time, right? Like, I'm a failure. I didn't deliver on the <laughs> birthday party. I promised my little sister. And I, you know, I really wanted to make this homemade delicious meal for my man, you know, and then you just feel like a failure when you didn't get anything done that you aspired to. I think our job is to get better at being realistic with our budgeting of our time and our money, and then make those choices about how we want to spend our time from a place of values, right, as a reflection of what we care about. That perfect example of happy hour versus the volleyball courts was a reflection of my values. And so I would say you all have the power right now to look at your calendar and say no to the weddings you don't want to go to, to the holiday parties that are you're going to feel drained afterwards instead of inspired and uplifted, right? Say no to doing the things you think you should be doing, but don't really want to. And that creates the time and space for reflection, for effort and energy to be put behind, whether it's a career transition or an entrepreneurial effort or uh, making your case to your boss for that year-end promotion that you want, whatever it might be, your time is your most precious resource. So be mindful about creating time for the personal goals you might have and the, and the, the development of your own vision for your life that otherwise will be filled to the brim with things you think you should be doing for others. I love it. I love it for so many reasons. Uh, first of all, it <laughs> absolutely resonates with uh, with me. I, when Alyssa, my wife, and I started yeah. doing a budget, geez, like uh, eight years ago or something, a financial budget. Yeah. You know, the first time we did it and went through a month, we're like, oh crap, we forgot to we forgot to budget the the birthday party that was in there, and you know, we forgot to budget for this other thing. And then you go through a year of doing that, and then all of a sudden you're anticipating, like, ha ha ha, you know, we've got a hey. hundred bucks in there now for this thing because it might come up, and hey. that's the same thing that happens in my experience with both your calendar and being able to say yes or no to the things that you're bringing in your life and spending right. your time on. So right. uh, love that so very much, and. and then it- Yeah, it helps you be realistic about committing to people with commitment as opposed to committing out of obligation, right? Which is a much less fun way to do the things you want to do. Showing up for people only counts when you're not uh, showing up halfway, right? So better to be able to say hell yes than to say yes and then have to back out at the last minute. Yeah, very cool. Mm -hmm. 
So people that want to learn more about that, more about you, they're all kinds of excited because they want to get bossed up. Where, where can they Where can they get more, Emily? How can they find out about you, what you do? What, where can they go? Well, first and foremost, they should go to bossedup.org, um, which is our website that has lots of information about uh, resources that are free and how they can get involved in our paid training program, Bossed Up Boot Camp, which is our flagship weekend long amazing training for women navigating career transition that really takes a holistic approach to helping you go from burnt out to bossed up or say you're not even burnt out just feeling a little lost or needing needing a refresh moment and then while they're on the blog there they can download our totally free ebook that i wrote called the bossed up life tracker it's actually a research driven long-term goal attainment workbook that brings all of these practices and a whole bunch of behavioral psychology and and behavioral science together to actually really guide you in a step-by-step way to making those changes in your calendar and in your in in your action plan uh, for creating the career and life that you want. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, thank you so very much for making the time for us and putting us on your calendar. And (laughs) I really appreciate it. And this has been a super fun conversation. Great. Thanks so much for having me. We've been good. So many questions from our listeners about how to actually use your strengths to get hired, how to career change with them that we put together the ultimate guide to using your strengths to get hired. And I want you to be able to take advantage of it because In this guide, we actually go through and talk about how strengths operate differently than what you think they do and why they can be one of the keys to doing work that you love and how you can actually do that. Plus, we talk about four specific ways to get started immediately, identify what we call your signature strengths, and then even how to represent those strengths in the interview process. And and, and we go into how, how to answer some of the most common questions that you would get to. So if you want all that and a whole bunch more, there's a lot packed into this uh, into this guide. We can send it over right away. All you have to do is text my strengths, that's strengths plural, my strengths, no space, plural, to 44222. We'll ask you for what your email address and where you want us to send it, and then we'll pop it right over. That's it. That's all you have to do. My strengths. Go ahead and text that to 44222. I will see you next week when the episode releases on monday all right i am out adios